It's said that your real life begins where your comfort zone ends. Well, it's about to get real as we have radically authentic conversations to help you thrive in your personal and professional life while navigating the twists and turns of being human. Buckle up, because this might get uncomfortable. Starts right now with Whitney Lordson. Jason has a subject matter for this episode that's a little on the heavy side, I think. It should be interesting today. But I wanted to start off this episode with something a little bit lighter that I was a combination of amused and intrigued by. Intrigued by. I got this email. This, this PR agency has been sending me these emails from this data company called Top. And I was just fascinated with, with why this felt like PR-worthy news, I suppose. They sent me this whole email <laughs> about the percentage of Americans who eat burritos and all these statistics about burritos. And apparently National Burrito Day was at the beginning of April. I don't know why I got the email several weeks later. But <laughs> I was just fascinated that... 36 of Americans are eating more burritos during COVID-19, apparently. And I guess like people are really into burritos right now. And I don't know where this data came from exactly, but they're saying that 53% of people that they surveyed would choose an awesome burrito over a romantic date. That's how into burritos people are. Then they broke it down into burrito-loving states. It kind of makes sense. Citizens of New Mexico have the biggest taste for the dish, followed by Colorado and Oregon. Those in Delaware are the least enthusiastic about the Mexican dish, followed by Alabama and Kentucky. Now, I wonder, do they just have less access? Because when I was growing up in Massachusetts, Mexican food was not that big of a deal. I remember one place in Boston when I was in college, but like I didn't really have a craving for Mexican food. And then, of course, when I moved to Southern California, that shifted because there's a lot of Mexican food here and and very good. And of course, Texas. But this whole website, which I will link to in our show notes at wellevator.com, where you can find the entire transcript for this episode, resources, links to sites like this, anything else that we talk about, our YouTube video. You can see more survey insights if you too are intrigued by burrito statistics. Five interesting insights. 56 of Americans like queso in their burrito. And I wonder if that includes people like me who like vegan queso, which is now slowly becoming an an option at some places. 90%, this is pretty fascinating to me, 90% of Gen Xers eat a burrito once a week. 90%, Jason. 56 of Americans say a burrito has saved them from a brutal hangover, a brutal hangover. (laughs) 47% of Americans would give up their favorite shirt for a world's best burrito, for the world's best burrito. I don't know. I just, I guess I didn't realize how into burritos people are. (laughs) You know, what's also fascinating about burritos is that a lot of different cultures have their own version you know, like in Japanese cuisine, they, they'll have like the sushi rolled up 
what else, Jason? Like, I suppose the Italians with a calzone, the kind of burrito like, I mean, a lot of different, not at all. <laughs> Maybe you can make some more culinary comparisons, Jason, but it seems like rolling things up in bread, like a falafel, that's kind of burrito like, right? A lot of different cultures have their own version of burritos. There's something that we love about having a really carb-heavy dish that you can hold in your hand that's convenient, that's filling, that's flavorful, that has a lot going for it, maybe lots of nutrients, and it's it's very comforting, you know? So I'm curious, Jason, are you into burritos? Can you relate to this at all? Where's the best burrito you've ever had? I'm trying to think about this myself. I believe that we are very fortunate to have a good number of vegan Mexican restaurants. In fact, there are so many now opening, Jason. I don't know if you know about this, but the people behind Veggie Grill opened their own Mexican vegan restaurant. In Southern California, of course, we we have a lot of choices. A lot of like taco stands. I don't know if all of them have burritos as options, though. And I do want to give a shout out. The place that I find the easiest to meet my personal nutritional desires is Takaya Organica, which I don't know if is only in Southern California, but in Los Angeles, they have a lot of locations. And what I enjoy about them is they have a ton of vegan options and they even have low carb options now. I think they have cauliflower rice, but they definitely have grain-free tortillas. I think they're from Siete. And they make phenomenal but extremely expensive burritos. I think on average, a legit grain-free, vegan, gluten-free as well, burrito there is like $17, which is insane to me. But that's with like the queso and the vegan meat and I think maybe some guacamole and it's fully loaded, but $17. So that's the place that comes to mind for me, Jason. What about you? What's the best burrito you've ever had in your life if you have any fond memories of them? And and. Where are you in this burrito-loving scale? I'm laughing my ass off behind the scenes. If you are listening to this, I highly encourage you, dear listener, to watch our episodes on YouTube, our YouTube channel. We're uploading multiple episodes per week, and you get to see mine and Whitney's reactions to our comments here. You know what's crazy, Whitney? This is no bullshit. For the last week and a half, since probably last, eh, last Wednesday or Thursday, let's say nine days, I have been craving a burrito like a motherfucker. I can't, it's so funny and weird that you bring this up. I can't explain it. There have been multiple times where I almost postmated or drove to, and I'll tell you what the places are in a second, because it was such a specific craving for a burrito. This has persisted for nine days. I'm still craving one. I don't know what the hell this is about. So you bring this up, is hilarious and serendipitous, first of all. And it it makes me wonder, there's all this theory about neurocognition and where thoughts come from and and are all human beings part of a unified field theory or Terrence McKenna called it the noosphere, where there's a unified field of consciousness where all thoughts and language come from, that we're basically downloading stuff. So I wonder if there's just some sort of burrito meme floating around in the universe And it just hit me like a ton of bricks this past week. So I've been craving a burrito, first of all. I have not gone to get one. But the two places that I have been craving a burrito, ding, 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 Tokaya was number one. 
those burritos, they are just the fucking bomb. They're so good. I also want to mention that in terms of inflation, we actually had a whole episode about financial gaslighting, which we'll link to in the show notes at wellevator.com. Again, that's W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com. And in that episode, I mentioned an article referencing that the price of food and goods and housing and cars and gas has gone up exponentially over the past 20 years, whereas wages have been pretty much a straight line. However, I want to say, Whitney, the cost of an organic, healthy, plant-based burrito has stayed flat because I remember coming to LA in the year 2000 and getting a burrito, an OG burrito from Real Food Daily. And back then, a loaded burrito, mole, cashew cheese, the whole shot was about $17, $18. So I just want to go on record saying that, first of all, that's not cheap for a burrito. In no world or any universe is that cheap for a burrito. I just want to go on record saying that. That's not an accessible price for a burrito. However, for the echelon of burrito you're describing, it stayed pretty flat and it has not been prone to inflation. I just want to go on record and say that's pretty cool. This just triggered a memory for me. I actually used to be really into burritos. And similar to another episode we did recently talking about Demi Lovato and this ice cream shop, The Big Chill, across the street from The Big Chill in Los Angeles is a, what is the name of that place? A chain restaurant. I might have to look it up. And I think it's the same one that I'm remembering. I know that I used to go there a lot. Paquito Moss. Yes. Okay. (laughs) Paquito Moss is this restaurant I became obsessed with when I moved to Los Angeles. I was in my last semester of college when I moved here and there was one down the street. Might have been the original Paquito Moss. Oh my gosh. If I was no longer gluten-free, I'd be so excited. I haven't looked at their menu in a long time. Maybe they have some gluten-free options. They probably have bowls, I imagine. But I used to go there and get their burritos. And the other place that Jason used to laugh, because I remember you making fun of me because I would point out like random Mexican stands throughout town. And like I completely forgot how into all of this I was before. (laughs) I I love seeing you laugh, Jason. Oh my gosh, it's really funny. But... It's funny to me because I need I need to jump in like like over the years that Winnie and I have known each other, we would be out driving through L.A. and she'd be like, oh, yeah, Guadalupe's taco stand. That's the best flautas I've ever had. And like there'd be these random ass trucks or pop ups that Whitney would point out in random parts of the city and be like, oh, yeah, blah, blah, blah. They've got good chilaquiles. And I'd be like, you ate there, too. And Whitney would just share her travails of her food tour. And places I would have never thought to stop. So, Whitney, you're kind of the queen of, like, random-ass food finds in L.A. I just want to give you credit for that. And I laugh because it's been a minute since we've obviously been in a car touring around L.A. Because, you know, the last 14 months of this acid trip we're living in. But nonetheless, you're kind of the queen of that. And it makes me laugh. The thing that's making me laugh, too, is that I couldn't remember any of the names of these places. But I remember exactly where they are. The other one that I was thinking of is called Cactus Taqueria, and they used to have this tiny... I think actually that might still be there. Yeah, it looks like it is. They have two locations on the same street in Los Angeles. It's called On Vine Street, which is a pretty big street that leads into Hollywood. 
And they had this tiny little taco stand that I used to go to when I was working at this um, television production place. And I used to go there. They were open really late and they had phenomenal, inexpensive burritos. That's what made me think of them, Jason. I think they're probably like $6, which is much more reasonable. And they became so popular, they opened up another location on the same street, but like a fancier location. And then I think they have a few others. And there were little places like this that I would go, especially when I didn't have a lot of money and I could get an amazing meal. And this is probably why people love burritos is they're so filling. In some places, you can get a really good burrito for $5. I don't know how much they charge at Chipotle these days, but it's under 10 right? And Chipotle actually now has cauliflower rice. I've been thinking about going just to try it. I'm out. Of, I'm curious. And I, I think it's really neat that they're offering these things, even though some people get very offended by the term cauliflower rice because they're like, it's not rice. But I am a big fan of inclusive words. It's the same way that people get upset when, when they call it vegan chicken. They're like, it's not chicken. How dare you call it chicken? And it's like, well, the reason it's called vegan chicken is because they're trying to be inclusive of people that are making different dietary choices. And most of us know the texture and the taste of chicken, even if we're vegetarian or vegan. And so it's like, oh, I know what that's going to be like. And cauliflower rice does not really taste or have the same texture as rice, I will say, but it mimics the experience pretty well. And that's why I'm grateful for it. I just want to say that if you are a human being who is writing petitions and rallying on social media against the use of the word milk, rice, chicken, cheese, meat, beef, etc., and trying to prevent plant-based products from using those words, you may want to consider how you're focusing your energy in the world, if that's your cause, okay? Just saying, you may want to reconsider. Maybe you need something better to do with your life. I don't know. I wanted to give a shout out, Whitney, though, to two small independent businesses in LA. For any Angelinos or anyone who may travel to LA in the future, two small businesses with incredible burritos, right? Since we're riffing on this. One is a place called Jewel. It is in Hoover Hollow, which is a tiny little section adjacent to Silver Lake. The two owners, Jasmine and Sharky, amazing It's an LGBTQ-run business. Their food is incredible. Incredible pizzas, incredible flatbreads. Their macro food, their burgers, their breakfast burrito in particular, sublime. Incredible. So shout out to Jewel, Jasmine, and Sharky. We love you. The other place, co-owned by our dear friend Brittany, of whom I rescued Bella and Julius from her former Animal Rescue, Little Love Rescue, co-owns Sugar Taco, which has a location in Hollywood on Melrose and now one in uh, Sherman Oaks on Ventura Boulevard. Amazing burritos. Fully vegan, delicious, and not as expensive as $17. I think Jules' breakfast burrito is maybe 10 and I think depending on how you spec the burrito from Sugar Taco, it's probably around the same price. Again, not, quote, cheap, but really, really damn good burritos. And I'm trying to support as many small businesses as possible right now because, you know, the economics right now being what they are and the fact that most of the PPP loans went to big corporations like, you know, we don't really need any more Applebee's in the world. Okay. We just, we, we're good. We're good on Chili's. We're good on Outback Steakhouse. We're good. So I'm trying to support as many small businesses as possible. So you ask my favorite burritos are Takaya, Jewel, and Sugar Taco. Those are my top three in LA. Now, 
God, what other point did I have about this, Whitney? I had a total, I, I feel like we just, we went down this burrito <laughs> rabbit hole and now I'm struggling to find my way out. I had another thought about burritos and I can't remember what the hell it is right now. Gosh, dang it. Well, it may, it may come back later. It may not. But I think this is probably a good segue into me talking about the quote, heavier topic that I wanted to discuss today. And it's funny that you called it a heavier topic because what I want to talk about is male body dysmorphia. And I kind of was unsure about how I wanted to talk about this today or if I even wanted to talk about it because I feel like there's a narrative in my head and I, I don't know where this comes from. Maybe it's from society. Maybe it's from a lot of the sociopolitical things that are coming up. You have a yes, you have a point. I'm a little speechless and I don't mean to stop your train of thought, but I felt like it was worthy of it. I just looked at my phone to make sure that it was on do not disturb. And the message on my phone was a notification from Yelp regarding sugar taco. Stop it. Stop it. Are you serious? And I haven't been to Sugar Taco in months. I don't think that Yelp is listening to me. I think it's truly a coincidence because I do get these notifications fairly often and now I'm not able to find it. But yeah, that's... Oh, wait. It's gone. But it was there. It was a Sugar Taco notification from Yelp. I'm just saying that's weird. That's a trip. That is bizarre. (laughs) That is absolutely bizarro. And you didn't even mention the word sugar taco. I said it. True. And I have my headphones on, so my phone right. wouldn't have been able to hear it unless it's somehow right. weirdly connected to this microphone. Which, you know, free, would not free, be surprised. Bizarro. Yeah, it's so, it's so weird because I, now I can't even find it. But I, I, it wasn't my imagination. It was... It's one of those well, things it, when you when you click on a notification and then it... it it opens up the app and you can no longer find the notification that well and, and, like, and, and you know if there is a CIA funded operation to surveil us send us free burrito coupons we'll take if that's sure see if the CIA and the intel of the federal government wants to listen to our conversation send me taco coupons it's the least you could do thanks <laughs> thanks CIA we appreciate that okay so so Whitney, I hesitated to to even bring up this topic today because I felt like, you know, oh, who who want, you know, the voice one of the voices in my head was who wants to listen to like a white appearing cisgendered heterosexual male talking about his body dysmorphia. But then I thought there's not a lot of cisgendered white facing heterosexual men talking about body dysmorphia period. Because I think maybe First of all, men are conditioned to not complain about anything, you know, just suck it up and deal with your pain and don't cry. And, you know, all the negative sort of emotionally blunting messages we get. But I wanted to bring it up because it's something that I've been experiencing at a higher rate since my motorcycle accident back in November of 2020. And as a result of not really being able to move very well for about a month, month and a half, I ended up gaining some weight and I have not lost that weight. And I bring this up because for two reasons. Number one, there have been a lot of moments where I have looked at myself in the mirror and have been really unkind to myself, you know, like picking my body apart in ways that have made me feel not good about myself, like really, really hating the way that I look. 
I bring this up, A, because I think that, again, male body dysmorphia or men feeling ashamed of how they look or feeling not attractive because of the way they look is, is not really something that's a mainstream conversation. And I found myself, you know, over the course of this recovery period from, you know, going to PT for an, about five months now of, you know, having this really, how do I describe this? A challenging relationship with my body in recovery. You know, there's a part of me that's like, well, yeah, you gained weight because you were kind of immobilized. You couldn't get out of bed by yourself. You couldn't really move all that well. But it's given me an opportunity to look at how my physical appearance, whether that's my weight or my physical appearance or some of the hair loss issues I've been going through, how that affects my perception of my value in the world, my desirability, my attractiveness, my worth as a man. And in that sense, it's been kind of a gift. But the one side of this, though, that it kind of flipped in that, how do I say this? It's flipping the conversation on its head is I was having a discussion with my mom about this, which was, it was a little bit, I don't know, weird to have a conversation with my mom about like how I perceive that I look and my weight gain and all that. But I was trying on some shirts, Whitney, and trying on some pants in the past week and realized that there's a lot, there's a significant portion of my wardrobe that doesn't fit anymore. And it's been this consideration of, you know, my mom was like, well, why don't you just keep it? Because, may, you know, maybe you'll lose the weight again. You can fit into it. And I, and I told her, and in that moment, I said, you know what, mom? I don't want to lose the weight. It was a really interesting moment of observation to see her propose that and then me say to her, I actually don't want to lose the weight. And it was really cool to pause in that moment and examine that statement that came out of my mouth because I think it was a first, the, one of the first moments in months where I've been like, you know what? I think I'm actually becoming okay with where I'm at right now, not wishing I was different, that I weighed less, that I looked different, whatever the hell it is. Part of it's aging. I'm turning 44 this year, but part of it is like, maybe I just don't give a shit. Maybe I'm starting to get to a point where I'm like, I'm sick of beating myself up for some bizarre standard from Men's Health Magazine and, you know, having a six pack and, and being ripped and, you know, all this bullshit. I mean, men and women are subjected to equal amounts, I think, in certain cases of dysmorphic messaging of you're not attractive, you're not worthy of love if you don't look this way. But you know what, Whitney? I'm saying all this because I actually, this might sound bizarre. After the podcast, I'm going to spend part of the afternoon going through my entire wardrobe, like the whole thing. And you know what I'm kind of looking forward to, Whitney, is getting rid of a shit ton of clothes because they don't fit and I don't care about them fitting. And I don't want to, you know, lose the 15 pounds and fit back into the, I just want to be where I'm at. And so there's a dual, there, I say all this because A, I want to bring a more awareness to, as a man, how much I've beaten myself up and been unkind to myself over how I look or how much I weigh, et cetera. B, that this opportunity of having this accident has given me a chance to take a deeper look at that inside of myself. But three, it was just cool that in this conversation with my mom about the weight I've gained to be like, yeah, if I have to get rid of literally all my genes, I kind of don't care. And I'm I'm also kind of excited about it. So I bring this up because I was, I don't know, strangely nervous to talk about it. Maybe because I perceived people would be like, oh, Jason complaining about something that doesn't matter. Wow, he gained 15 pounds. Who cares? But it's more of like the spiritual side of this for me where I've had to look at how unkind I can be to myself. And I'm getting to a point of acceptance where I'm like, I'm actually okay with the weight I'm at and how I look and fuck it. I'm going to go through my entire wardrobe and probably get rid of a shit ton of clothes today. And I'm super stoked about it. <laughs> I think it's an incredibly important thing to hear from 
someone who identifies as male about this subject matter, because to your point, I don't think enough do. It's very common to hear women talk about this, but it it makes me also wonder how much the media is involved with this and all of the, the cultural impacts, because I'm sure many men, if not most men, can relate to what you're talking about, Jason, but they might not feel like they can publicly discuss this. To your point, it might seem like a superficial thing, but it's something that I, as a person who identifies as a woman, that's part of my daily experience. It seems incredibly common. I don't know the statistics right offhand, but I believe that the majority of people that identify as women are in that same mindset. I wonder if somebody who was not born a woman, but identifies as a woman, or I should say, how do I put this? Transgender, perhaps, is the better way to describe that, to my knowledge. That's something I'm still stumbling through is, is discussing gender and pronouns and all of that. But someone that is, again, identifying as a woman has some person who are going, people that are going through that transition, maybe they don't experience quite to the extent because they feel so grateful to be able to present as a woman that maybe it's not as big of a deal. But at the same time, once you look like a woman, even if you didn't originally to society standards, there's still a lot of pressure. So maybe it's even worse. Maybe people that are transgender, like really struggle with their appearance because they want to fit into a lot of these norms. And I just finished reading a book called Beyond Beautiful that really dives into this. One book that I also really love is called Beauty Sick. They're both my favorite resources so far on the subject matter because they get into the statistical and psychological experiences that people have and really frame it in some unique ways. And they're both targeted towards women, but Beyond Beautiful touches upon very briefly, like I think only a few paragraphs in that book talk about the experience that men or people that identify as men experience, go through. And that makes me wonder, like, why isn't that represented more? And, and maybe it is. Maybe there are more books on this subject matter that I haven't come across yet or people talking about it. Because certainly most men I know, most men I've dated have struggled with their body image. I mean, the amount of things I've heard over the years, like I remember one of my, if not my first serious boyfriend said to me once how bad he felt that he hadn't worked out for a week. And I said, oh, well, I can't really tell the difference. He's, he said, I can. And he just went on this whole rant about like how he felt bad about himself because he wasn't working out consistently. And of course, women often have that experience as well. And I've seen men that I've dated go through ups and downs with their weight and times where they feel good about it. And it's interesting because it doesn't feel like culturally they have quite as much pressure, but maybe that's just from my perspective because I'm so focused on all the pressure that women tend to receive on this. And the when I read that book, Beauty Sick, Jason, it really had me reflecting on how much energy any gender is putting on themselves for their appearance. 
and how many of us believe that our worth is tied into our appearance. In fact, there are some really great quotes from the part of the book that I was reading the other night and how often we feel like our power is in our appearance. And this is also true, like you're bringing up age, Jason, and age is a big challenge too. I mean, granted, statistically, men tend to struggle less with becoming older in terms of the appearance of getting older. In our culture, at least, older men are often seen as handsome. We have terms like daddy and we have, you know, the silver fox and we have a lot of positive phrases, terminology around older men. But then again, maybe it's that's for older men that look a certain way. Is that true about all older men? I'm not sure. But I think this issue of power is a big point of this and how many of us are really afraid that if we, quote, let ourselves go, then we'll lose our power. People will like us less. We'll become less influential. We'll become less important. And that's really disturbing to me because another term that I've seen thrown around a lot recently, especially by Gen X, is my appearance is the, most, is the least interesting part about me. And I think Gen X is really waking up to this and, and many of them are fighting for it. But I don't know, statistically, maybe that's not true because it also seems like Gen X is so concerned with their appearance and being influencers and all that, you know? You mean Gen Z? Sorry. Yes. Gen Z. So I actually, I mean, I would say, because Gen X is millennial too, right? Or no, wait, I'm sorry. I'm totally getting them confused. <laughs> I do this all the time. Uh, millennials are Gen Y. You're a Gen X. Yes, Jason? Correct. Correct. Okay. Got it. Thank you. Okay. Gen Z are typically the people that I'm seeing talk a lot about their appearance being less important. They're really big advocates for body positivity. I, I see this with the younger millennial or, or millennials in general. I certainly am very passionate about this too. And I, I think that there's a movement shifting, but it's going to take a lot of work and a lot of time because it's so deeply embedded in us. And it hasn't been that long. I think through some of the data that I've seen, certainly it goes back many years in history about how important our appearance is in terms of the clothes that we are wearing and how we did our head and what uh, our, our head, how we did our hair and whatnot, you know, like all of these things that people will use to show that they're important to represent their personality, to try to put themselves in a certain class. We use this as like a, that first impression, you know, so it's nothing new from what I've read, but what's new is how social media has impacted us and how much we compare ourselves to one another. And we are exposed to many more examples of beauty than ever before because we have television and we have devices. I mean, all day long, we can see the media portrayals of beauty in men and women. And also, we, there's a lot of media centered around appearance. There's a lot of TV shows and segments that are about outfits and there's so much news around people losing weight and how they seem to be rewarded for their weight loss. Just yesterday, I saw something for um, this one ac blonde actress whose name I'm at a loss for. She's a comedian and she was known for being 
a chubbier character on shows and she recently lost a significant amount of weight and, and now she's getting in the news for that. Look how much she lost weight. Look at Adele. She was another example fairly recently of the media just making news out of her weight loss. And I remember specifically with Adele, people were saying like, weight loss is not news. This woman is an incredibly talented singer. Why is she in the news for how much weight she lost? And imagine the pressure that she may feel right now. And you've seen actually a lot of singers go through these ways. Even Kelly Clarkson, I remember, like she used to be a very small frame, gained a lot of weight, and the media wanted to put a lot of attention on there. A lot of women in the media, their weight changes over time. And I'm sure the same is true with men, but I notice it a lot more with women. And I think the media emphasizes it so much with women, Jason. And at the same time, I'm sure that you feel the pressure to maintain a certain weight, even if it's not associated with your gender. I think regardless of who's being represented in the media, would you say that in general, you feel like you should be rewarded for losing weight or being a certain size and ridiculed for gaining weight or being a heavier size? Is there some part of your brain that thinks that your weight means something good or bad about yourself? I think so. I think, you know what I think it is? I think that in my mind, I have been conditioned to believe or programmed to believe, conditioned program, using them interchangeably as euphemisms, but it's almost like a level of desirability is attached to being in an ideal weight range, quote unquote, whatever that is. But I think it's also an association that I am untangling of what is healthy and that there's some level of virtuousness around, quote, being healthy or being as healthy as I can be. You know, and so I think with this idea of being a certain weight or looking a certain way, the dysmorphia is, is tied into self-worth. Because it's like, oh, you know, if your belly is hanging over your jeans or you're not as muscular or defined as you used to be, or you can't see your abs anymore or whatever the fuck it is, then it's this thing in my brain where it's like, oh, dude, you're not as healthy as you used to be. You're not as vibrant as you used to be. You're not as attractive as you used to be. It's like this level of, and we talk about this word because I think it's accurate, this level of virtuousness based on whatever level of health or wellness that I perceive that I'm at. And and I think that this is probably a problematic aspect of the entire health and wellness industry, Whitney, to be honest, is that overall, I think that there is in many people an unquestioned association between being a certain weight or looking a certain way with your body and that automatically meaning you must be healthy. That if you're overweight or you're obese or you know, you don't have the body type that is being celebrated by the mainstream media, then you must automatically not be a healthy person. It's like an automatic assumption. So to answer your question, I think that I'm through this process of, of the weight gain I've experienced after my surgery and my recovery is like looking at these unconscious associations that I've made, you know, and then using that as ammunition to beat myself up over quote, not being healthy enough or not being as healthy as I used to be. And I'm really, you know, I think it's dangerous. Like I'm realizing that that association, that automatic assumption is a very dangerous thing. But let's not forget that health is not just about your physical state. It's about your emotional wellness as well. And I think that is the most important thing. 
So if your emotional wellness is not good and you're only focused on the physical side of your body, then it doesn't matter how, quote, healthy your physical body is. You could be deeply suffering. And that's something that we need to be very mindful of when we judge other people for their appearance is we don't know what their emotional state is. We don't even know if they want to lose weight, to your point. In fact, I was thinking about this yesterday, I believe, Jason, because I was examining my own belief systems around health and body size. And I remember a conversation I had with your mom that got really heated because I had seen this. Joe Rogan actually was talking about this one woman whose name is also escaping me, who's a maybe a body positivity advocate. She's a model and she's she's got a very large figure and she was on the cover of a magazine and Joe Rogan was really heated up about it. And so were a number of people. And Joe's big point was that if you put someone of her size on a magazine cover, then aren't you saying that it was basically like a big judgment around health? Like, is, she, is this a bad example? And his judgments around being obese, I realized I had as well. And I remember saying something about this to your mom when she was in town visiting and she got really upset and like deeply angry with me. And I, at the time, I don't think I had had a strong opinion about it. I was just kind of reflecting about it out loud, but it's certainly with me wondering about what this woman was representing being on the cover of a magazine at her size. It was like this weird feeling of it's not that she doesn't deserve to be on it because of her size. It was that I wondered if that was, it's hard for me to relate to because now I don't feel that way anymore. My awareness has shifted so much on my judgments of people's body size. But back then, I think I thought that that was dangerous. I thought similar to Joe Rogan, like, oh, we we can't encourage women. We can't tell them it's okay to let themselves go or whatever. You know what I mean? It was like all those weird things that like I believed because so many people in my life were saying those things, Jason, and being in this health and wellness world, I just got so caught up in it. And I'm not trying to make just an excuse for myself, but that I think that's where my thought process developed, where I too was very judgmental. Oh, well, if you have gained weight, or if you're a larger figure, you must not be trying hard enough, or you must not be eating right, or maybe you have a deep health condition that you're not addressing. Like It was like looking at bodies and assuming that those represent somebody's health. And then I think shortly after that, I started reading about anti-diet culture. I'm sorry, not culture, the anti-diet movement and intuitive eating. And it really shifted my entire perception because there's actually a lot of data. In fact, there's even data that shows that some people with larger bodies are technically healthier, which blew my mind. I can try to find some of the statistics, but it was ultimately that we just cannot judge somebody for their body size. That is their body. That is Maybe their choice or maybe the way that they are. We don't know what they've done, what they've tried. We don't know what they want. And who are we to say that that's not okay? And I actually, thinking back to, I'll try to remember her name. I don't know if you remember her name, Jason, that model. 
But I think it's incredibly important for me to see for us to see people of different sizes because I, I also believe that statistically, women under size four, whatever that means, but you know, the general size four clothing, maybe between zero to size four, those are the women that are represented in the media on magazines and television shows. Of course, we've got the Victoria's Secret body. I don't know what size clothing that is, but but we've got these these majority of women and probably also majority white women being represented in the media. So maybe it seems incredibly extreme to see someone much, much larger than them on a magazine cover. And and it's shocking because we're not used to it, but we need to see more of it. We need to see representation all across the board and also not at the extremes. We need to see everything in between. And that's something I've been working on, Jason, and I'm curious about yourself, is that are you making a conscious effort to look at men who have body sizes similar to you and body sizes that are not in the mainstream? Because for me, if the more I look at women that have all different body sizes, not only do I become more accepting of them, but I become more accepting of myself and less in a place of comparison because I'm recognizing there's so much diversity in the way people look and the way that they have on their body, which by the way, even, even plus size women are greatly, I was going to say manipulated, but um, their body shapes, Jason, I did not realize this, but apparently a photographer was quoted in one of these books saying that they will pick plus size women based on the proportions of their bodies and the shapes of their bodies. They will even go as far as padding them to get certain curves And then they will also put clothes on a certain way or Photoshop them with certain curves to their body to emphasize things like the hourglass figure. So even the plus size women that we see out there don't fully represent women that are around a similar body size. And it wasn't till platforms like TikTok where I started to see all different size women talking about their bodies and pointing out things about their bodies that like you never see in mainstream media. Like one woman was showing um, how underneath her breast, she has another set of rolls there. And she's like, I've never seen another woman. And then like some other woman made a video saying, oh, I have the same thing too. You're not alone. And it's like these women start to recognize they're not alone. And then women like me that don't have that are seeing different bodies and hearing the stories about them and recognizing, wow, like I really am so grateful for people sharing this because I want to be exposed to all of that so I can open up my eyes and my heart to it. So going back to you, Jason, do you make a conscious effort to expose yourself to different size men and different shape men and age men and all of that so that you can see the diversity in men and not just what's being represented in the mainstream? I don't know that I'm making... Honestly, I don't think that I am. I feel like... You know, what kind of flashes on my mind is remembering a few years ago, you know, you're mentioning celebrities and how they're sort of vilified for the way they look. I remember a couple of articles years back, like paparazzi pics of like Leonardo DiCaprio on the beach. and, And that started the whole dad bod thing, which was like five, six, seven, you know, it's like, oh, Leo's got a dad bod. And then this whole dad bod thing came out and it was like... Some people were like, ugh, dad bod, that's gross. And then other people were like, no, dad bod's good. And and again, it was this this 
fucking distraction tactic to get people arguing about someone's body. And then kind of the same thing happened when Jonah Hill lost a bunch of weight and then he gained weight back and then they shit on him for that. And, you know, like when Hugh Jackman was playing Wolverine, all the pressure, you know, there's videos of him showing his workouts to get the Wolverine body. And then he stopped playing Wolverine. And again, there was, it's, it's always like a beach pick of like, wow, look what happened to Wolverine now. It's like, why do we have this expectation that like someone's, you know, they're doing it for this role to get this image of this superhero body. And then they don't play the superhero anymore. And then, you know, we throw them under the proverbial bus for not like being this shredded, ripped mutant physique. My point in saying that is I want to do a better job of exposing myself to a variety of different physiques and ages and a healthier perception of this because I realize how much, based on how much I beat myself up, that I have been manipulated into believing this way of looking, this way of eating, this way of living means attractiveness, vibrance, health, and value in society. And it's so deep and it's so manipulative and it's so toxic for anyone who identifies as a man or woman. I I think by and large, women are subjugated to a more sinister and deep way than men are, I believe. But men are subjugated. We're all subjugated is my point. We're all subject to capitalist, corporate, media pressure of buy this thing, live this way, eat this way, wear these clothes, have this figure, get the hair plugs, get the breast implants. There's so many permutations of this, but it's also toxic. Because at the core, it's you're not enough the way you are, and you need to be different to be more sexually attractive, to be more valuable to society, to attract a mate, to have kids. And what does that come down to? Our desire for love and acceptance, really. Because, oh God, if I don't look this way, if my body doesn't look this way, and I'm not muscular enough, and my booty's not big enough, and I don't have the right clothes and the right car, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I won't be desired, I won't be loved, I won't be accepted, and then I'll be alone and I'll feel like a piece of shit. I mean, it's really preying on our most primal fears, which I think is aloneness and lack of love. I mean, that's a deep primal fear for most human beings. I'm going to end up alone and no one's going to love me. That motivates a lot of our behavior and purchasing decisions in life, if you really think about it. The primal fear of ending up alone and not being lovable. Holy shit, does that drive so much behavior. So then the question is, if we do the really hard work of authentically learning how to love and accept ourselves more, maybe we'll stop chasing this stupid shit. Because it really is stupid shit. I'm just going to say it. It's stupid shit. At the end of the day, you're making money for someone else. You're driving yourself insane trying to achieve some standard because you think it will make you feel better. But why will it make you feel better? I think that's the thing. When I lose this weight, when I get muscular, when I get this body, when I look this, I'll feel better. Why Why will you feel better? That's the question. Why? Why do you feel better about yourself when you look that way? It's a really important question to ask. Is it that you finally attained the standard that society and media has placed for you, and so you feel good because you've won the gold medal? Is it that in your mind you've, again... Men are, suppo- are, quote, supposed to be this superhero, Herculean Greek god with rippling muscles. You're virile, and you're sexual, and you're primal, and at the same time, you'll fuck everything that moves, and you'll pr- be able to protect everything. And for women, you'll be desirable, and you'll be able to be this goddess of eros and sexuality. I mean, it, it, these tropes are not new. I mean, if you really go back in history, 
these standards we're talking about, Whitney, these are not relegated to modern society. These standards and these appearances go back a long, long, long time. Absolutely. And and that's why it's really helpful to to read about these and have these conversations because the more I learn about it, the easier it is for me logically, but then I have a lot of work to do emotionally. So this isn't like a snap your fingers type of thing and very few things are. In one of the books that I read on the subject matter called Body Kindness, which is the third book I'll recommend, and I'm going to link to all of these in two places. One is in our show notes at wellevator.com. So every episode, we have the transcript, the show notes, the resources linked, so you can easily find anything we reference. But we also have a a little shop, a bookshop on Bookshop is the name of the the site. I think it's bookshop.org. Yes. If you go there, it's on the sidebar of our website. It's also linked in the show notes. We have a list of all the books that we recommend. So if you just want to look at books, go there. And what's really cool about bookshops is it supports independent bookshops. And that's why we switched over to recommending books there instead of Amazon. So the third book is called Body Kindness. And There's a lot of great information in there, but one to piggyback on what you just said, Jason, is you can ask yourself a universal body kindness question, which is, is this helping to create a better life for myself? And if the answer is yes, then maybe go a little level deeper. What exactly is it doing? Does it even matter? You know, and it depends on why you're asking your questions. Are you asking like, should I eat this food? You know, like food can be a very emotional, challenging thing. But is the thought process that you're thinking about your body, for example, helping you create a better life for yourself? Or is it leading to you feeling worse about yourself? And that's why I come back to the emotional health side of this is all of these thoughts that we have about our bodies and other people's bodies are not necessarily a positive thing. They're leading to a lot of toxic energy. They're leading to depression, the comparison trap, anxiety, shame, guilt, all these really low vibration emotions. And another thing that I read in the book, Beyond Beautiful, which is so fantastic, I recommend every gender reads that book because it's just so informational. It's so good to know what, what women are going through as well, but I think most of it applies to men, is that if you can just make a practice of looking in the mirror and identifying one thing you like about yourself, one thing you love about yourself, we have a tendency and a habit of looking at the mirror or a photo of ourselves and quickly going to what we perceive as our flaws. And that's okay because that's a big habit to overcome. So either instead of or in addition to that, then look at it, your body and try to find something that you really love. So it could be your eyes, it could be your hair, it could be your nose, it could be whatever, you, if one little freckle on your body, you know, it's just something that you love. And if you have trouble finding it, make it your mission to find it. Because if you're having trouble, that's a big indication of where you're at with your body and it is going to take some work. Another thing you can do is ask somebody who loves you, like truly loves you, Hopefully you have at least one of those people in your life. If not, Jason and I can be those people. Send us a picture of yourself and guarantee we will immediately find something about you that we think is absolutely radiant and something that we are drawn to because this is what happens. Most of us as human beings can identify one of those things in another human being 
And sometimes we need someone on the outside to point those things out if we're not used to thinking that about ourselves. So Jason, you can try that. I'm going to start trying that as well. And just soaking in because another thing that these books touch upon is how when we feel bad about our bodies, it can literally ruin our day. It could bring us down. We can see a bad picture of ourselves. We can look in the mirror. We can step on the scale and for the whole day feel awful about ourselves. And that's such a sad thing, in my opinion, because as is so well articulated in the book Beauty Sick, we have so many things that are more important than our bodies. There, Our minds are so valuable. Each of us has some incredible element to ourselves at our core that is so much more important than how we look. And if we spend all day being concerned about how we look, it is a bit of a waste. And I also remembered the name of the model I wanted to mention. It's uh, Tess Holiday. And what's interesting is that looking at those magazine covers, I think the big one that was controversial was Cosmopolitan, but she's also been on Self Magazine. And it looks like a bunch. She's been in a ton. Glamour, is it? I'm not sure. But if I think she's been in at least two magazine covers. And I look at her now and think she's absolutely beautiful. And You know, in the past, I looked at her and saw someone that was heavy, but now I look at her and I think, what a radiant human being. So sometimes we need to work on our shifts and that's something else you can do. When you look at someone else, if you feel judgmental, try to just find something about them, hopefully even their their personality, but appearance-wise, you can also practice this. Identifying something in another person that you think is beautiful will help you move past the negative judgments that you can have about them. Oh, actually, this is a great time to bring up Zac Efron, Jason. I would love to hear, maybe you can summarize what I sent you about Zac Zac Efron, which was in the news yesterday for us. We're recording on April 24th. So on April 23rd, there was a lot of news going around about Zac Efron. Do you want to share anything about that, Jason? You know, my impression of that is similar to the impression that I get whenever I see social media attacking someone for their appearance change, you have no idea why he looks the way that he does. Oh, did he have plastic surgery? Did he get cheek implants? Did he get fillers? Why? Is it because he had this bacterial infection from the show he was on, you know, being in the wilderness? Is it this? Is it again, it goes back to the comment I made earlier about people, you know, taking up arms over, you know, almond milk or cashew cheese, like you have nothing else to fucking worry about in your life. And I'm going to go there. Like, you know, I'm a big fan of Byron Katie. I quote her sometimes in the blog posts that we write for wellevator.com. If you haven't read our blog, we actually have been getting some really great emails about the blog posts that we put up once a week, which is part of our newsletter. You can access the newsletter and the blog at wellevator.com, W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com. And, you know, To me, Whitney, it's like you're in – there's three kinds of business in the world. Byron Katie says this, and I I tend to agree. She says, whose business are you in? You're either in my business, you're in your business, or you're in God's business, universe, spirit, whatever you want to say. Don't get hung up on the word God. And there's so many people that are in other people's business, and it's like whenever that happens, my first thing is – What's going on in your life? What's going on in your life? Why do you feel the need to comment on Zac Efron? 
Khloe Kardashian, Adele, whomever it may be. You know, and it goes back to like people's obsession with gossip, people's obsession with talking about other people. And, you know, whenever I get into that mode, like my version of that mode of like, oh, yeah, but did you hear what blah, blah, blah said? I'm like, whose business are you in, dude? You in your business? You in their business? God's bu- Whose business are you in? So that's just a general framework I ask myself. So with this Zach Efron thing, it's like, let him live his life. People are like, well, he's a celebrity. He signed up for this. I see people say, he signed up for it. You shouldn't have chosen to be a celebrity if you didn't want to subject yourself to such intense public scrutiny. <laughs> he's a human being. Leave him the fuck alone. That's my thought. And I think that's important. I mean, and maybe, Jason, that represents a great example, sadly, of how men, even young, successful, handsome men like Zac Efron, you know, and not to say that he has any, you know, the privilege. Well, he does have privilege, but meaning like he shouldn't be protected because of his privilege. That's my, not my point. But the point is, is that we live in a time where we're simultaneously growing more accepting and yet growing even more critical of each other. It's really bizarre. And oh, there's this one amazing girl on TikTok that I want to find her name because she was in the comment section standing up for him so much. I opened up TikTok. I want to find her name. I know how to spell some of some of it. She does body positivity and she was in the comment section, like really standing up for him. And I loved it. I mean, she was like, anytime people were in the comments of TikTok videos saying cruel things about Zach, she was there like saying, I can't believe you guys are saying this. Like we got to treat him as a human being, like all those things that you're reiterating, Jason, and I'll, I'll find her name and, and put her in the comments if I can't find it quickly enough. But I think it's really important because when we put all that emphasis on somebody and, and say those cruel things to one another, it's so damaging. I mean, imagine what younger boys are thinking that, you know, maybe they wouldn't publicly admit that they look up to someone like Zac Efron, but maybe they see people making those comments on someone like him and think, wow, like if Zac Efron's getting bullied like this, I'll find her name eventually. She's really amazing and she stands for body positivity, but it was mainly I've seen her stand up for women, but to see her standing up for men, I thought was a really beautiful thing because um, it goes both ways and it's not acceptable for anybody period to receive all that scrutiny. And I think what can happen is if we see other people scrutinizing, then we think that's acceptable. And on platforms like TikTok, people love to get on the bandwagon and make fun of one another. It makes them feel really good. And that's what I mean. It's like on a platform that celebrates diversity and acceptance in a lot of ways, it's still got a lot of bullying and a lot of cruelty and a lot of cancel culture, and not enough accountability. So anytime I see people holding one another accountable and spreading positivity, it's something I really value. Speaking of things that we value, Jason, we wanted to share some some foods and give some food love, because I think this ties into the body positivity, the body kindness, 
conversation is really celebrating things that we enjoy and savor. Actually, I'm not even sure if you're going to mention a food, Jason. I think our goal was to talk about some products that we love, which was something that we haven't done for a little while, but we had a discussion earlier like, hey, let's go back to giving some shout outs. So mine is a food. I don't know about yours, but here's one that I feel like is so kind to my body because not only do I feel like the ingredients make me feel really good, but when I consume it, I emotionally feel elevated and uplifted. And that is a brand called Kulina. I have never received their products for free, by the way. <laughs> this is not any sort of sponsored or, or, you know, there's nothing. I Literally, I buy this myself, which I think is so important for us to be transparent about. We'll do our best to let you know if we ever, when we're talking about things that we got for free. We may use affiliate links in the show notes. So if you go to the resources section that we mentioned, you might click on something. Maybe we make a commission of it, but I don't think that will be the case with Kulina because they are a refrigerated product, so it's hard to have an affiliate commission with them. But they make my current favorite yogurt. And this flavor in particular, have you had this, Jason, the strawberry rose? It is mind-blowing. I have had all of their flavors. Well, you were holding out on me because I just had the strawberry rose for the first time and I kind of lost my mind over it. I've also had the unsweetened. I've had the blueberry, lavender, I think. And that one I was not that into. I was like, meh. I saw strawberry rose yesterday at the grocery store and I thought, all right, you had me at rose. Like I'm a sucker for anything with rose in it. But I had low expectations because the blueberry lavender was not that flavorful, at least not the batch I had. But this strawberry rose was like, the perfect amount of rose and strawberry, perfectly sweet. They sweeten it with maple syrup and it's got seven ingredients, coconut, water, strawberries, maple syrup, agar, probiotics, and rose oil. I've already been thinking about how I could possibly make this myself because the one downside to Kulina is it's a little expensive for yogurt at least. It's it's uh, five ounces and it's $4 at most stores that I've seen. But for the quality of ingredients, which almost all of them are organic, and it comes in a glass jar with a really satisfying lid. It's like the perfect size to reuse. But I'm sure at a certain point, if you buy this often enough, what are you going to do with all these jars? I don't know. Maybe you're really into jars. So if you love yogurt and you love jars, this is like a win-win. And it comes in, there's no plastic. Maybe there's plastic around the lid. But if you're look, watching on YouTube, I'm holding up like the the packaging is completely removable. So you don't have like a sticker on the jar, which is another big plus, right? That's like the bane of your existence. If you collect jars and you always have to remove the stickers, not the case with Kulina. You just remove this little piece of paper. And I was going to show the jar, but we've been recording for an hour. And so it would have just been sitting here tempting me the entire podcast. Instead, it's in my fridge where I'm slow eating it and savoring every bite as slowly as possible. Kalina also has a line of, of kefirs and like a vegan coconut kefir. And they're okay. I was actually a little disappointed mainly because the size. I think they're like four, five dollars maybe, five or six dollars even. And the jar is so small. If you're looking on YouTube, it's like this tiny jar. I was expecting like a big jar of it. Not the case. I had the salted caramel espresso flavor. Listen, it's great. 
but wasn't worth the price and wasn't as exciting as this particular yogurt. The strawberry rose is my new go-to, my little yogurt splurge. Jason, what do you got for us today as a favorite product? Well, before I introduce my product, I want to propose an idea. What if we did a podcast mukbang? It would also be on YouTube, but if people didn't want to watch YouTube or were driving, they could listen to us taste test and wax poetic about our favorite new foods. I'm going to propose that an episode upcoming. If you, dear listener or dear YouTube watcher, subscriber, want us to do a live mukbang, which is essentially a taste test conversation where Whitney and I are kicking it as if we would be trying new products and tasting and talking about them, let us know. I think it could be fun and different. That being said, Whitney, I have been really on a mission to optimize my sleep for a long time. I've mentioned this in several previous episodes that I've struggled a lot with insomnia and disordered sleep, in particular the last two to three years. And so I'm always on the hunt for new natural solutions to have a deeper, more restorative sleep. Being that, I came across this product probably about a month or two ago, and it is a line of edibles, cannabis-based edibles, from a company called Pantry, P-A-N-T-R-Y, and they have dark chocolate edibles. I was first introduced to them that essentially it was just a basic CBD-THC mixture, but recently they came out, Pantry came out with functional optimized edibles called night bites. And these night bites have per serving one, one treat. And actually, you know what? I'm going to, I'm going to open these up because I want to show not only how sexy the packaging is, but you talked about glass when you open it up, like, look at, this is really, this is great design and you open it up. It comes in a glass package and there are 20 edibles per jar. And they are these dark chocolate, fully vegan cacao edibles. Now, what makes these optimized for sleep? First of all, they have, let me read the label. It's five milligrams of THC, five milligrams of CBN, which is supposed to relax you, and two milligrams of CBD per piece. It also has L-theanine, valerian root, passion flower, and melatonin. So I've been taking these. I take one about 30 minutes before bed, and holy shit, Whitney, I've been sleeping so good. So good. I'm a huge fan. By the way, I bought these myself. They were on sale at my favorite dispensary here in LA, which is called Sweet Flower. I got them for 20% off. I ordered five of them. And then they missed the delivery to my house and they gave me 15% on top of that. So I saved 35%. So if you're in LA or you're in Southern California, you want to get some functional cannabis, hemp based, vegan edibles. They always have deals on Pantry. I love this brand. It's working so well for me. I take them every single night now. We will link to them in the show notes. I can't say enough. They taste great too. And the ingredient list, since we're, we're all about ingredient lists, I mentioned a few of the things, but this is the full ingredient list. Passion fruit flour, cocoa butter, cacao powder, coconut sugar, L-theanine, valerian root, passion flower extract, sunflower lecithin, melatonin, CBN, CBD, THC. So it's gluten-free, it's soy-free, and it's fully vegan. So good. So props to Pantry. I love you guys, and you are saving my ass every single night. 
Well, I just added that to the list. My sister is hoping to come out to visit. And one of the things we have on our list is to go around and check out all the dispensaries in town. <laughs> it's funny, I'm not I'm not a super cannabis enthusiast, but I do a very appreciate CBD and occasionally an edible, nice a nice treat. I'm very grateful that we have the um law on our side, at least here in, in California and in Massachusetts, where I'm from and my parents live. So it's very uh, easy for me to indulge when I would like to. And that looks incredible. I just sent the link to my sister, Jason, and said, well, when you come out here, and I, I read a little bit more about how it's made by award-winning chefs. I don't know if you saw like Thomas, the guy that um, made them it was in the ranks. I don't know if they worked together. Hold on. Let me see here. It says he worked alongside some of the culinary world's best Michelin starred chefs, including Thomas Keller, whose chocolate we also really love. So if you go to their website, you can read a lot about them. They said that wellness is our main concern. Our top quality, healthy, low sugar, premium cannabis goods have been designed by world renowned chefs made only from the best ingredients. So I can see why you recommend them, Jason. I want to thank you so much for opening up this conversation, being willing to laugh about burritos and then talk seriously about your body. And I think it's such an important subject matter for us to explore personally and for the listeners as well to really reflect more on your judgments around your body and other people and know that people might be struggling a lot more than you realize. A lot of people are uncomfortable. So even you bringing up Jason that you felt vulnerable talking about this as if it wouldn't matter or people wouldn't care or it seems superficial or insignificant. Maybe a lot of other people feel the same way and that's why they don't share their struggles. So we want to let each of you know that this is a safe place. If you ever want to share your struggles with us publicly or privately, you can reach us easily on our website. All of our contact information is there. And again, that domain name is wellevator.com, W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com. You'll find our email address. You'll find a public comment section for each of our episodes, just like a blog post. There are also links to our social media where you can comment on posts. You can send us a direct message. That's where most people communicate with us. We love seeing stories. Some people will post little Instagram stories about the episodes that they're enjoying, which we always appreciate and we'll reshare. If you want to leave a review about the show and, and as a whole, there's information about that too. So the website is really the hub. As mentioned, everything that we've discussed today is in the podcast show notes. And we look forward to having another episode for you soon. We have them every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Friday are guest episodes. We try to bring on a diverse group of voices to represent all different types of people. That's a huge mission of ours now. And uh, we've actually had episodes about body positivity. And I would love to talk with just people of all ages, Jason, and all different body types too, not just like sizes. But one thing I've been reflecting about is things like ableism and how sometimes we're not aware of how fortunate we are to be able to use our limbs where some people don't have limbs, you know, like some people don't have legs or arms or some people have had accidents and just uh, having more guests that are 
going through different things with their bodies beyond their weight and their different elements of health, I think is really important. So I'm, I'm saying that out loud. We've had a few guests like that. So you can check out all of our guests. There's actually a page on our site that just shows our guests, if that's something of interest to you, and you can search through them. And if you ever have suggestions for topics or guests, we'd love to hear that as well. Thank you so much for listening. We'll be back with another episode in just a few days. And until then, we wish you all the very best with your health and wherever you're at today. Bye. Thanks for listening and getting out of your comfort zone with us today. For show notes and more high-performance resources to help you thrive, go to wellevator.com. That's W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com.